You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Barag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Psalms. That's the truth, the takeaway really, from the psalm. It's about a relationship. See, it's, it's almost like this. See it this way. It's like God saying, I did not create you to sacrifice. I did not create you to sacrifice these animals and shed their blood for the atonement of sin. That's not why I created you. I created you to be with me for all eternity. I created you to have a relationship with me. Today, we'll study a psalm that speaks of the kingdom age, the millennial age, which is the 1,000-year period when Christians will reign with Christ. Pastor J.D. will teach about these future events after the rapture of the church, and he will highlight that the heart of God has never been for your sacrifice, but for a relationship with you. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. Now, here's Pastor J.D. in Psalms chapter 50 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. Psalm 50. We're introduced to Asaph. He's one of the psalmists. He's also one of three worship leaders, if you will. During David's reign as king, he authored a number of the psalms, and Psalm 50 is one of them. Verse 1, the mighty one. God the Lord has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God, verse 3, shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, verse 5, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge. Selah. Key word judge. We'll talk about that in a moment. Verse 7. Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Remember we talked about that last week, the emphasis on I. I am your God. They're not your God. That's not your God. Money's not your God. I am your God. I will not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not take a bull from your house nor goats out of your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. This is where that famous saying comes from. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Well, it's kind of not really the context of the psalm. Verse 11, I know all the birds of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. Remember in our study through the book of Job, fascinating study. When we talked about 
All of the beasts of the field, all of the animals, all of God's creation answer to him. And do as he commands. Verse 12. This is uh, weird. (laughs) If I were hungry, I would not tell you. Now this, of course, is, you know, rhetorical in a way. For the world is mine and all its fullness. God's going somewhere with this. Will I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. That verse in and of itself, I could preach a whole sermon on it. And you know I could. I won't, but I could. Call upon me in the day of trouble? I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. There are three facets to that one verse that say it all. Let me explain. Call upon me, pray. When you're in trouble, that's when we pray, isn't it not? James says, is any among you in trouble? Let him pray. You don't have to tell me to pray when I'm in trouble. (laughs) When I'm in trouble, I pray. So he's saying, call upon me when you're in trouble. You're in trouble. I'm in trouble. Pray. Call upon me. I will hear you. I will deliver you. And you will glorify me. This is what Jesus said. You ask anything that is according, that will bring glory to my Father according to my will, which is the will of God, and I will do it. Wait, what? Jesus said that if you ask Anything of me that glorifies the Father, it's a done deal. That's what the psalmist is saying in verse 15. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will glorify me. Anything we ask in prayer of God that brings glory to the Father, we can consider it a done deal. We will have that answer. Period. That's the qualifier though. It has to bring glory to the Father. If it brings glory to the Father, then we can have that which we ask for. That's the key. That's the key to answered prayer and the power of prayer. But verse 16, we're told, to the wicked, God says, What right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. That's an interesting way to say it. In other words, you you couch everything in terms of lies and deceit. When you speak, it reminds me of what Jesus said. You're speaking the your father's language, the, the devil. He's the father of lies. You're speaking his language. Who is he talking about here? Not the righteous. He's talking about and to the wicked. And the wicked being defined as those who are hypocrites. He says, verse 20, (laughs) this is interesting because we see this in the New Testament where you have 
things like slander and gossip in the same list with things like adultery and even murder. That's how God sees it. That's how serious God takes it. Talking stink about people. A false accusation against somebody that has no basis in truth. God takes that seriously, so seriously, that it rises to the level of something like adultery. He's just got done saying to them, you, you're adulterers, and now he says, you sit, verse 20, and speak against your brother? You slander your own mother's son? And it can be so subtle. And it can be so insidious. And again, it's couched in sometimes very spiritual terms. But it's wicked. It's evil. And God will judge it, as we're going to see here in a moment. These things, verse 21, you have done, and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. In other words, because God did not judge this swiftly, they thought, oh, no problem. They think, well, maybe for them, but not for me. And it's like they think to themselves, I got away with it. A lightning bolt didn't just come down and strike me immediately after I did this. So, must be okay. Verse 22, he says, now consider this. You who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. Um, a little bit of a difficult psalm. Let's try to unpack it a little bit here and have a better understanding of it. So it's believed that the psalm is chiefly about the coming judgment of God on the day of the Lord when he comes to set up his reign in the kingdom age, the millennium, that 1,000 year period after the second coming and before the new heavens and the new earth. You know, oftentimes we we uh, think about and talk about and are excited about the rapture, and it's before the seven-year tribulation, and then the second coming, and then we think about eternity future. But what we don't seem to remember is we have a 1,000, this is a literal 1,000 years, the millennial reign, the kingdom age, and I, I know this is kind of gnarly, but it's going to be on earth and the earth will be what it was like in the time that Adam and Eve were here before sin entered the world. That's going to be the 1,000 year reign. And we are going to rule and reign with Christ for 1,000 years over all of the earth. And it's going to be an enforced righteousness. You ask, who are we going to be ruling and reigning over? Oh, very interesting. And I, I know I mentioned this before. I really 
do want to at some point do a teaching on just the kingdom age, the millennium, that 1,000 year period of time. See, we're going to be in our glorified bodies as his bride by his side seated on the throne. Now, there are going to be those in the kingdom age that will survive, it's hard to imagine, but they will survive the seven year tribulation. They will neither accept Christ nor will they accept the Antichrist. So their fate has not been sealed. Their judgment has not come. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So they're going to be alive at the time of the end of the seven year tribulation. They will not seal their fate by taking the mark of the Antichrist, nor will they have accepted Jesus Christ. Now, those in the seven year tribulation that do accept Jesus Christ, we call them tribulation saints affectionately, they're going to be in heaven. They're also going to be in the millennium. They're not going to be the bride. They're going to be serving at the throne. We're going to be seated on the throne. That's the difference. Those that are left behind, that are not saved at the time of the rapture, before the seven-year tribulation, they will, and it's not going to be easy, they will be beheaded for their faith if they put their faith in Jesus Christ and they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ during the seven-year tribulation, they will be martyred for their faith in Christ. And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, they will enter into the millennium. They are saved. They will be in heaven. But there are going to be those who are going to be alive in heaven. They're going to have the bodies that Adam and Eve had. They're going to have children. And their children are going to have children. And their children's children are going to have children. And think about this, and you can do the math, but you've got a thousand years of people living for a thousand years, like Adam and Eve could have, uh, well, basically did, not quite a thousand years. By the way, when God said, in the day that you surely eat it, you will die, kind of a dual meaning, because a day to the Lord is a thousand years for us. So it really in a day, they did die within that thousand years. But also, secondly, they died spiritually. It was a spiritual death when sin entered the world because the wages of sin is death. Anyway, that's a, again another teaching for another time. So at the end of the seven year tribulation, these people will enter the millennium. That kingdom age, that 1,000 year reign, and they will be given the bodies that Adam and Eve had, and they're going to have, you can again do the math, but literally millions and hundreds of millions of children will be born during this time. And at the end of the 1,000 years, Satan will be loosed from the bottomless pit where he was chained. For that whole thousand years. So he's not there to tempt people to sin. But they still have the sin nature. They still have the propensity to sin. And some of them. It's hard to imagine living in this perfection. With Jesus Christ ruling and reigning for a thousand years. It's so hard to comprehend. That there will be people at the end of the thousand years. When Satan is loosed. They will choose. They will make their choice and seal their fate for all eternity. And they will choose to reject Jesus Christ after the thousand years. That's pretty hard to get your mind around, isn't it? But this is what this is talking about, is the coming judgment. And this is something that is not talked about enough 
in the church of Jesus Christ today that God's judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. One last thing, and then we'll uh, bring it to an end. And this is really important. Notice he talks in, in this psalm about the sacrifices of these animals. You know, make your sacrifices, make your vows, but what I really want is not your sacrifices, but what I really want is a relationship with you. That's what this psalm is about. I mention this because that's the truth, the takeaway really, from the psalm. It's about a relationship. See, it's, it's almost like this. See it this way. It's like God saying, I did not create you to sacrifice. I did not create you to sacrifice these animals and shed their blood for the atonement of sin. That's not why I created you. I created you to be with me for all eternity. I created you to have a relationship with me. Remember in 1 Samuel, when Saul, I mean, he's completely, I mean, he's messed up so bad. He started off, okay, first king of Israel, but he turned away from the Lord. And uh, the prophet Samuel goes to him, and he, he says, you know, I, I did what God told me to do. You know, I, we didn't wait for you. People started getting impatient, so we made the sacrifice, and now here you are, and... Basically, the prophet Samuel rebukes him and says to him, the kingdom has been taken away from you now. And he says to him in 1 Samuel 15, 22, that obedience is better than sacrifice. What's he saying there? He's saying that a relationship is what I delight in, not sacrifice. I want a relationship with you, not a sacrifice from you. I heard it said this way, and, and it really hit me, and it stuck with me. God has everything, right? Do you realize there's one thing that you and I can give to God that he doesn't necessarily have? You know what that is? Think about this. The one thing we can give to God that he doesn't have, obedience. He has everything, but that's the one thing that he desires. He desires a relationship with us where we're walking in obedience with him. Let me just uh, close with this uh, story that's told. I think it was H.A. Ironside shares about this man who the wife died and they just had the one daughter and he just loved her so and wanted to spend all of her all of his time with her and so every night they would sit together and have time together eat dinner together and then on this one particular night the daughter said to the father can i be excused i uh have something that i'm doing and I need to uh, finish it. And so he said, of course, honey, you can, you know, be excused. And so uh, she went up to her room and that was it for the night and they weren't together. Well, this happened again and again, night 
after night, and it happened to be right before Christmas. And so on Christmas morning, she gives to her father these socks that she had uh, hand-knit together for him. And that's what she was doing all of those nights that she would ask to be excused. Now the father is looking at these socks and he says to her, honey, I certainly I appreciate this and I and I it's really nice of you, but I would have done anything to instead of having these socks to have had that time with you all of those nights that you went up to your room to make this for me. I I would have much rather just been with you. He loves us so much, and he wants to be with us. I think about our devotions, as we call them, our morning devotions, our, our quiet time with the Lord. Do you know how much that means to him? When we talk about how important it is for us, and it's not like God demands us to do it. Could you imagine if we if we took that posture with Him? Oh, okay, God, I need to spend some time with you this morning. Wow, it's okay. I don't want it to be like that. It shouldn't be a got to. It should be a get to. You should want to. Spend time with me. I was, uh, my wife today, I'm going to be gone, and I, I, I don't like to be away from her for any length of period of time. It just, it, it, truly it could be said of me, it is not good for man to be alone. <laughs> I just, she's my best friend. She's my soulmate. I just love her so much. And so every chance I get, I'm going to spend as much time with her as I possibly. Can you imagine if I, said to her, okay, honey, I need to spend some time with you. Okay? (laughs) No, that's okay. I don't want you to spend time with me. You ever think of it that way? With our time with the Lord? Communing with Him? Talking with Him? Praising Him? Thanking Him? That's how he wants it to be. That's what he desires. That's why he created us. What do you think we're going to be doing for all eternity? You know, there's an interesting reference concerning eternity future. For all eternity, we're going to be learning of him. Infinitely. For all eternity, we're going to be learning of him. Getting to know him intimately for all eternity. Wow. There's a lot to learn from the book of Psalms, and we're so glad you've joined us to sift through it all with Pastor J.D. Farag on In Spirit and Truth. The range of emotions expressed in the pages we've been studying give us an accurate and beautiful picture of our Heavenly Father, the almighty and loving creator of the world. Before we end our time with you today, we'd like to share how you can access more of these messages right now. Simply visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com and click on Listen to search through our archive of Pastor J.D.'s teachings. 
You can even take these messages with you on the go with our mobile app. Find a link to our app on our website or search for In Spirit and Truth in your app store. This will provide you with hours of insight into the Bible, helpful links, and access to the latest editions of Pastor J.D.'s Mideast Prophecy Update. In these updates, Pastor J.D. takes a critical look at the news and events happening around the globe and compares them to the prophecies of the Bible, sharing God's views on what's taking place. These messages are new each weekend and will help you put world events into an eternal perspective. These Mideast Prophecy Updates are also available to watch on our YouTube channel, which you can access through our website. Again, that address is inspiritandtruthradio.com. Thanks for taking the time to listen to God's Word today. We pray it's blessed and encouraged you greatly. Pastor J.D. will continue studying through the book of Psalms when you join us next time, right here on In Spirit and Truth.